so for the next three weeks, um, we're going to be looking at one particular passage. It's in Mark 5, and it's from verse 21 to 43. <clears throat> and in this passage, there's like two stories taking place. So the first starts with... Um, we, he, we read about a man called Jairus whose daughter's quite unwell. And so he comes to Jesus and says, come with me to heal my daughter. And then whilst they're on their way to Jairus's house, um, we read about this woman who was pushing through the crowds of people to reach the hem of Jesus' garment because she'd been suffering for 12 years. And she thought, if I could just reach his garment, I will be well. And so this week, we're going to look at the story of the woman uh, with the issue of blood. In the second week, we're going to look at Jairus and his daughter. And then in the third week, we're going to look at why those two passages were put together. Because it's intentional, so we need to know why. Why were they put together and what can we learn from it? Does that make sense? Are we excited about that? Yeah! <laughs> I regret that massively. Um, okay, so why don't we start by reading Mark 5, and we're going to read from verse 25 to 34. Okay, Mark 5, 25 to 34. It says, um, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Beautiful story, isn't it? Um, this week, um, I took some annual leave Monday to Friday, and on Monday, I went to go pick up my gran for a coffee, and on the way down, when I was driving, I felt the Lord speak to me about two words, identity and authority. Identity and authority. And I felt him show me that you can't truthfully, confidently step into your authority unless you're first confident in your identity. You see, we want to move in signs and wonders, don't we? You know, like you want to like pray for someone to be well and them to be healed, don't you? Yeah, you, we want to see the captive set free. You know, we want to see those things. But how can we step towards that if deep down in us, we have a broken identity, which is questioning who we are in Christ? How can we confidently step into our authority if we're wondering, could God really use me? And so we've got to become more assured of what, the Bible says of us, what God says of us, and we've got to walk confidently in our identity. And then, then I believe that God will position us to reap the end time harvest. For the last year, God's been speaking to me about marriage. <laughs> I heard that, Mergy. <laughs> I know, I fancy that. <laughs> um, but quite 
quite specifically, guys, don't get carried away, quite specifically a heavenly marriage. And he's been asking me, like, I just feel led to read Song of Songs and Revelation, those two books. And both of them talk about the pursuit of the Father, and both of them talk about this pursuit that will lead to this heavenly marriage that will take place in heaven. And Revelation says that the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. The wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. We are the bride of Christ. Look at someone and say, you're the bride of Christ. Wow, I'm convinced. (laughs) But you are. Today, we are the bride of Christ. And we don't always look like it or act like it, but we are. That is who we are. We are the bride of Christ. And one day, Jesus will come back for his people. And the intimacy of that can only be described in terms of a marriage. That union will be so strong. Jesus is coming back for his church, and we are his bride. And I think when I look at the church, like not just CLC, but the church, what I see is that the Lord is establishing our identity again. And he's like shaking some things off us that were never supposed to be there. And he's establishing our identity again. And like I said, once we are confident in who we are and who God's called us to be, then he will position us to reap the end time harvest, which we know will be the greatest harvest this world has ever seen. And so we've got to deal with the issues of our identity now and soon, because Jesus is coming back soon. And we've got to be ready. And don't you want to step into his purposes and plans for your life? Don't you want to move in authority? Don't you want to partner with his spirit for the kingdom? So it's time that we deal with our identity. You see, when I look at this story of this woman, um, there's so many things about it that just blow me away. The fact that, you know, she'd been suffering for 12 years and she just touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she's healed. That's phenomenal, isn't it? The fact that she was so desperate, um, that she was willing to push her way through the crowd just to sneak, just to touch Jesus and she was healed. Wow, that blows me away. But the thing about this story and the thing that I want to focus on is that not only did Jesus heal her physically, he healed her identity. You see, um, because of this woman's suffering, for 12 years she was labeled unclean. For 12 years, by Levitical law, she was called unclean. Which meant that nobody could touch her or be touched by her without becoming defiled. So we can conclude that for 12 years she had no human touch because she was unclean. Her husband had likely divorced her. They couldn't even share a bed because he would be then defiled. So his husband, her husband likely divorced her. A lot of people thought she was cursed by God because of her sickness. It wasn't just that she was physically unwell, it's that her sickness directly impacted her identity and she was known as unclean. It wasn't that she was a nobody of society, she was a somebody, but she was labelled, defiled, unclean. And what I see in this story is that Jesus wastes no opportunity and whilst he heals her physically, he goes after her identity. 
when I look at like society, you know, I'm confident that the enemy is targeting people's identity. It says in the Bible that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when I look at what he's targeting, I see he's targeting people's identity. I don't know if I should say this, but I'm just going to say it. There's a false picture of what masculinity is in this world. And if we want to know what it looks like to be a man, you've got to look to Jesus. Who, when you read his life, walked in gentleness, kindness, and sensitivity. At no point did he pursue power or position. He didn't use his authority to abuse people, but humbled himself, became in low to honor others. And he was the manliest man that ever walked this earth. And so the picture of masculinity that society is portraying is false. Because if you want to know what a man looks like, you just look to Jesus. That's masculinity. I'll just leave that there. I don't, yeah. Um, but when I look at this story, I see that Jesus was after her identity. And today, I believe that he wants to restore perhaps our broken identity. And he wants to do it soon because he's got things for you to do, places that you need to be, all to help with his kingdom building work. And you've got to become so confident in who God's called you to be in order to step into your authority. So we're going to talk about that a bit. Is that okay? No one's left, so I'd say that was a good success. <laughs> um, okay, so my first point is that Jesus restored her by finding her. It says in verse 30 to 32, At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Just picture the scene, okay? So there's crowds of people um, reaching out for Jesus. And Jesus knows that power has gone out from him, so he stops and he says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, Jesus, you're having me on. Everyone's touching you. <laughs> that was the Yorkshire translation. <laughs> and um, he, was, he just ignored them. And he was like, no, someone touched me. Now he's God, so he knows who he's looking for. But he still keeps looking through the crowds of people to see who touched me. There is something that happens in our heart when we let ourselves be found by Jesus. It brings healing and restoration to our very being. Um, a few months ago, I was praying and I got this picture as I was praying um, God took me back to when I was in primary school and I was on the playground. Um, and the thing, about, the thing about me is that, you know, I've known Jesus my whole life. And so I've always wanted to do right by him. I've always wanted to just please Jesus. And sometimes that's looked like striving, if I could be honest with you. Um, but I've always wanted to please Jesus. And God took me back to this picture where I was on the school playground and I'd just done something that I shouldn't have done. And just to save your imagination, it wasn't like drugs or anything. <laughs> it 
I was six, guys. <laughs> but I was on the playground, and Jesus was stood in front of me. And he was trying to find my eyes. You know when someone's trying to look you in the eye? He was trying to find my eyes, and I just kept looking away. And I knew he was looking for me, but I was just looking away. And even from that early age, shame had robbed me of the ability to stand and look Jesus in the eye. It was shame that did that. You see, um, when sin entered the world, shame and fear hurried along behind. And it says in in Genesis 3, uh, verse 10, um, it's Adam that's speaking. And he says to God, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid I was naked, so I hid. And sin entered the world, and almost instantly, Adam and Eve experienced shame and fear. They were ashamed of, you know, the current state they were in, and they were afraid that they might be rejected by God. Shame and fear followed suit as soon as sin entered the world. And for me and you, quite often, fear and shame are the biggest things in our life. They prevent us from being confident in who we are, they prevent us from standing before God, saying, this, this is me. You know, fear and shame are the biggest hindrances in our walk, in my opinion. But whilst fear and shame try to have the final say in our lives, and they do try that, there is a greater narrative at work. And that is that as soon as sin entered humanity, the pursuit of the Father intensified. And it says in that same verse in Genesis 3.10, it says that the Lord called to man, where are you? He went looking for his people. Where are you? And from beginning to the end, God has been looking for his people. And so often we're so riddled with shame and fear over past mistakes, past hurts, that we don't have the courage to stand before him as we, as we are. But Jesus is looking for his people. The question is, will you let yourself be found by him? Will you allow yourself to be found by him? Will you surrender to his love? For 12 years, nobody was looking for this woman. If anything, they were avoiding her. And in this one moment, Jesus, through a crowd of people, came looking for her. And in doing so, he restored her back to life. Going back to that picture I had on the, the playground, I knew, I knew that I just needed to look up and look at Jesus. You know, I knew that's what I needed to do. And I, I'm not exaggerating, it went on for a good few minutes, you know. He just kept looking for me. And so eventually, I looked at him in the eye, I was Weirdly, I know it's not true, but in my heart, I guess I was expecting rejection, you know. But I looked him in the eye, and his love, like, filled me, and striving lifted off me. And in that moment, I really believed wholeheartedly that Jesus came not for what we do, but for who we are. That Jesus knows everything about you, every mistake, every flaw, every failure. And he doesn't come expecting you to be a better person. He comes just for you as you are. He's looking for you. Don't wait until you're in a better state to come before Jesus. Just let yourself be found by him and you will find that it is healing to your soul. 
Jesus restored this woman by finding her. And today, Jesus is finding you. And you might have been in this Christian life for a long time. That doesn't mean that you've ever actually surrendered to the fact that Jesus loves you as you are. You know, you might be here and you might be saying, I've loved Jesus my whole life. Great. But are you any good at letting Jesus love you? You know, and I think they're two different things. And so it doesn't matter who you are and what your story is, Jesus is finding you. So let yourself be loved by him. My second point is that Jesus restored her by adopting her. It says in verse 33 to 34, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. In this one word, this woman went from being called unclean to being redeemed into the family of God. She went from being um, the woman who was defiled to being daughter. Daughter. There's, there's two things about this that I just want to draw your attention to. Firstly, um, the Lord gave her belonging. The Lord gave her belonging. Through this one word, daughter, the Lord gave her belonging. You see, she was unable to worship in the temple because she was considered unclean. So she wasn't able to go into the presence of God because she was considered unclean. And in this one moment, Jesus brought his presence to her. She was an outcast of society and Jesus came to her. And when I look at like society, you know, I think we're all just desperate for belonging, aren't we? Um, before the pandemic, we had a youth group over in the center on a Sunday morning. And we'd get about 70 young people. It was pretty good, to be fair. It was really good. And it was then that I realized that people belong before they believe. You know, because like young people would come and they hadn't got a clue about Jesus. But they came because they wanted to be part of something. And in the process, Jesus came and met them where they were. People belong way before they believe. And our human heart is designed for community and communion with God. And so the very nature of who we are, we want belonging. But before we go searching for that anywhere else, we need to first understand that we belong to our Father. There's this um, lovely verse in Song of Songs 7.10. And it says, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Before we go searching for belonging anywhere else, May we first become confident that we belong to our beloved and his desire is for me. Um, the second thing about this word daughter is that when Jesus called her that, he spoke over the lies that she'd been believing about herself. When your father calls you his, it heals something in your heart. And let me tell you about this guy called Larry Mullaney. Um, Larry was a college student and he had really, really low self-esteem, okay? Really low self-esteem to the point where even when he'd walk, he'd like walk a bit hunched over. He took no care in his appearance, wasn't bothered about the way that he looked. He was a bit smelly, a bit dirty. 
and just had no ambition or drive for life. And Larry's father was totally opposite. So he was dressed in a suit and tie all the time, successful job, took pride in himself and the way that he looked. Um, just polar opposites, you know. And one day, um, they got on the bus together to go to work. And as they got off the stop, um, across the road was a group of boys shouting insults at Larry, name-calling, cruel remarks, that sort of thing. And Larry was familiar with this. This happens all the time for Larry. And so he didn't even flinch. He was familiar with pain. So the cruel remarks came, and Larry just took it. And his dad stood in shock. And for the first time, his dad embraced Larry, kissed him, and said, Larry, if your mother and I live to be 200 years old, that wouldn't be long enough to thank God for the gift he has given us in you. I am so proud that you are my son. And that one encounter with his father changed the course of his life. And he started to care about um, his future. He had ambition again. He carried himself a little bit taller. And um, he discovered Christ's love and became a missionary. Such is the power of the father's voice to speak into someone's life. And it has the power to cut across any lies and remarks that you've been believing about yourself. For some of us, we've been carrying around comments that have been made about us for years. And we perhaps don't even realize that we're doing it until it shows up in the big things and in the small things. Someone said to me the other day, I'm just not enough. And my heart sank. And I thought, oh, you've been believing a lie. You know, the truth is, no, you're not enough, but Jesus is enough and he lives inside of you. Therefore, you are enough. Get your head around that. <laughs> you know, but she'd been believing this lie about herself for far too long. And we all tend to do the same. And if we're not careful, we create some ungodly beliefs about ourselves. The other day, um, I know my stories all involve my house, and I'm really sorry about that, guys, but um, <laughs> I'm just learning a lot through attempting DIY. Um, <laughs> but the other day, um, it's one thing I really struggle to do, and it's to hang picture frames. I know. Um, I just really struggle to hang pictures. I just, I find it, I feel like I need another pair of hands, um, but I just really struggle with it. And so I've got these pictures on the floor that were waiting to be hung on the wall and just staring at me for the last three months. And I was like, you know what, Becca, come on, pull yourself together, do it. And so after what felt like 15 minutes, I stepped back to admire my work and I saw three holes in the wall and the picture was wonky. <laughs> and I turned to God and I said, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. And he said to me, as quick as I said that, he said, who told you that? Who told you that? And I was like, say no more, God. <laughs> I got you. Um, and I sorted it out. And to this day, it's still hung on the wall. Praise God, amen, hallelujah. <laughs> Watch, I'll get home and it'll be on the floor, won't it? <laughs> oh dear. But just amazing that as quick as I said I can't, God came and said, who told you that? 
Who told you that? And he's right, you know. We have to start thinking about what we think about. We have to actively choose what we let in or not. You can't control what someone says about you. We all wish we could, but we can't. We can't control that. But we can choose whether we believe it or not. And so often, we are our own worst enemy because we speak these lies over ourselves time and time again. So this woman, she thought she was unclean, so she believed she was unclean. She'd been told it, I'm unclean. She believed it, I'm unclean. But Jesus cut across the lies that have been made and said, daughter. And if we really want to step into everything that God has got for us, we have to stop to think, what am I thinking about? What am I believing about myself? And is it true or not? Does it align with scripture? Yes or no? You know, is that what Jesus speaks over me? Yes or no? The Bible says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought. Let no thought enter your mind without first questioning, is this true or not? Is this from God or not? Who told me that? Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because we all know that the mind is so powerful. And what we believe of ourselves turns up in how we live and behave. So many of us were believing a lie. I'm not enough. I can't do that. I'm a failure. This has happened too many times. Actually, no, stop. We need to stop and start speaking over our lives that we are daughters, sons of the most high, co-heirs with Christ, heirs of the Father. We need to start speaking that into being over our lives. Amen. Um, it's all choice, you know. And it's annoying because we don't want it to be choice. We want the easy way. There is no easy way. It's choice. It's hard work to catch yourself thinking what you're thinking about. My dad's got quite an intense job. I wish I could tell you what he does. I don't really know. But um, <laughs> I know that he tells people about Jesus. And he equips the church to do that, I think. Um, but he's quite busy. And there's been a few times growing up where I've watched him and I've said this to him. Should you be worried about that? You should worry about that, Dad. You should worry about that. I'm worried for you. You should worry about that. Are you not worried about that? And he said, no. And at first, I wanted to punch him. <laughs> I'm that was a joke, guys. That was a joke. Um, at first, I, you know, I was like, what? How are you not worried about that? And he said to me one day, he said, Becca, worry's a choice and I don't want to choose it. That silenced that argument, didn't it? Worry's a choice and I don't want to choose it. We have to think about what we're choosing to believe, what we're choosing to listen to. And today, um, Jesus calls you his own. Today, you belong to your beloved and his desire is for you. Believe that instead. Believe that and then see what happens in your life. Let's all set ourselves some challenges. Let's see what happens when we believe that about ourselves. Let's see where Christ positions us. Let's see what happens. Jesus restored her. By finding her, he restored her by adopting her. And Jesus restored her by commissioning her to a greater future. 
Verse 34, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The original like Greek is actually go into peace. So it's not go in, go in peace, it's go into peace. Like stepping into it, step into peace. Um, in Leviticus 15, it states that a woman who is considered clean has to wait seven days and then on the eighth day, she must go to a priest and bring two birds, pigeons or doves and present them to be sacrificed, one for a sin offering and one for a burnt offering. And it says in verse 30, in doing so, the priest will make atonement for her before the Lord. This woman didn't need to do that because without even knowing it, she had found herself kneeling before the great high priest who was going to make atonement for all of humanity's sins. He was the ultimate sacrifice and she had no idea that she was given access to almighty God in this one moment. She had no idea. He's the great high priest. You see, over our lives, there had to be a sacrifice of blood. And in Leviticus 17, it says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Jesus willingly placed himself on the altar of sacrifice, and his blood was shed that you might be called holy, pure, and righteous, that you might have peace with Almighty God. Jesus healed this woman and then commissioned her into a life of peace and freedom, something she wasn't familiar with, a life of peace and freedom. And she wasn't yet to know the extent to which Jesus meant going to peace, but we know. We know the story. We know that Jesus was crucified and three days later was raised to life. We know the story. And in Romans 5, it's there, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, you have peace with God. You have peace with God today. And so often, we live um, a life that is lesser, to than that, lesser than that truth. You know, Jesus has called you to a life of peace and freedom. He says, I came that you might have life and life in all its fullness. That's what Jesus has in store. And don't live questioning the finished work of Christ on the cross. He paid for every sin, every mistake that you've made. He dealt with it on the cross. And he calls you and commissions you into a greater future. A life of fullness, peace and victory waits for you. Let's step towards it. And let's not settle for living anything less than all that Christ has paid for. Um, when I read this story, you know, I, I am blown away by it. And you could spend a whole like month just studying it and preaching on different parts of it. I love that she was so desperate. And she was on her own, you know. She was desperate and she was hungry. And she pushed through the crowds of people to meet Jesus. And in doing so, she was restored physically. But she was restored in her identity in ways that she didn't even imagine you know, Jesus cut across every lie and remark that had been made of this woman and called her his own. 
when I read this story, I'm totally blown away. And I believe that what was on offer then is on offer today. For so many of us, we've been walking around with a broken identity, riddled with fear and shame, questioning, could God really use me? And I believe that today, Jesus is finding you. He's looking for you. You know, his pursuit has not changed. He's looking for his people. But the question is, will you let yourself be found by him? And when that happens, and when you finally look up to see Jesus, you will find that striving is no more. Because you've met your maker. The one your heart was designed for. Um, I feel like we just need to shake the dust off ourselves a little bit, draw a line in the sand and step into our true identity. And then, then see where, where God will position you to reap the end time harvest. Once you've become so sure of your identity, the authority waits for you. Let's pray together, shall we? Yeah, Jesus, I want to say thank you that um, you pursue us and love us as we are. And thank you, Jesus, that you don't demand good works or achievements from us, but you see us and you long for us, you're in passionate pursuit of us. And Jesus, all the years that we've carried around a broken identity right now, we lay it at your feet. When we've believed lies of ourselves that were just not ever supposed to be there God we right now we take them captive and we lay it at your feet every ungodly belief that we have of ourselves may it be broken by the power of your spirit and I I pray that we would hear the father say you belong to me and my desire is for you so God, I pray today that we'd step into our identity, our true identity of sons and daughters of the Most High. And in doing so, Lord, would you position us ready to reap the end time harvest. We love you, Jesus.